Heroes. The books and legends say this was a time lousy with heroes. You were either barkeep, a damsel, a black-bearded killer, or what we simply called the law. Exciting times if you believe in that sort of thing. But then again, I never could. Take these pine boxes, for instance. Heroes and cowards both eventually get packed up and shipped to their maker in matching parcels. Heroes just tend to arrive a great deal sooner. Yes, sir. I had all but given up on the very idea of a hero, the same way a young boy gives up hunting jackalope, a chicanery of youth that only the hard ways of the world can cure. I've been out on the frontier for, hmm, well, I don't know, let's just say too damn long. When I saw this dandy, this city man, you know the type, educated, wrapped up in a fancy suit, dispense a branded justice that would have made old Bill settle down and take up something less dangerous, like bullfighting. Yes, sir. This man sent the devil's share, and I mean the whole damn share, to the bone orchard, and set a fire to the sumbitch that was hotter than hell its own damn self. Just goes to show a man with enough violent bile churning up in his gut, and also pretty handy with the steel, can make even this old broke fool believe again. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to see a man about a jackal. Some time ago, I suspect, in San Francisco of all places, our story begins in the bedroom of St. Patrick Mullaney Malone. A short man by trade, Malone wears a dapper three-piece suit and has a dainty little curl to what passes for a mustache out Frisco way. The beautiful Tallulah in her yellow dress and matching hat and lace gloves helps her husband with his tie. Husband, you never could figure out these here ties, now could you? Oh, I'm sorry, Tallulah. You know I'm normally just joking when I can't tie a tie. It's just that uh, I'm so damn nervous about meeting your father. Now you listen here, St. Patrick Mullaney Malone. I cannot be married to a coward. It is unbecoming of a war metal gal. <laughs> oh, husband, I'm sorry. You know how my family is. If my sisters knew I'd hitched my wagon to a lame steed, they'd eat me alive. Well, no, I don't think no, I'm... No, 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 of course you're not. Not to me. Well, I'd like to think not at all. I've always fancied myself... And I do, too. Well, you didn't even let me tell you what I fancy myself as. I just don't care anymore. If we have to live a life of secrets, at least we will share those secrets. You and me, husband. You and me. Well, I dare say you're right, my love. When it comes down to it, after all, the matters... I hate to interrupt, husband. Uh, do you? But I must... But I, but I must tell you something. What is it? I need you to go by the name Roscoe Cavendish tonight. Now, where uh, Sweetie, I... sweetie. Yes, husband? Why am I Roscoe Cavendish tonight? I apologize again. I know my family comes with its own set of quirks. Hey, like how your father refuses to meet his daughter's husbands till after they're married. 
Yes. As he puts it, he'll either be pleasantly surprised or condemn the poorly chosen suitor to a lifetime of resentment and shame. Well, and I take it he doesn't care for cowards. Heavens no, can't stand them. Not that you are a coward. However, if my father were to perceive you as a coward, well, that's almost worse than actually being one. How could that possibly be worse? Because a coward would have the sense to run away. Makes sense. Well, he can perceive whatever he wishes to perceive. I will never run from a challenge if the prize at the end is your love and affection. And, of course, he'd positively have me tossed in a sanitarium if he knew I married an Irishman. <laughs> well, wait, he doesn't know I'm Irish? Well, I couldn't possibly be more Irish. And I love that about you, husband, but I shan't be telling father about that, shan't I? No, dear, you shan't. By the saints, you shan't. And if you build an impression of proper grit and goodness, we may just get you a fine gentleman's work at Father's Real Company. I just want so badly for you to pass the War Metal Crucible. The War Metal cr Crucible? Husband, you look like you've given fright a fright. Well, it's just, yeah, you never told me this dinner was called the War Metal Crucible. Oh, never you mind, wife. I guess we'll just be making this a day full of firsts, I suppose. You'll do lovely tonight, husband. Now, finish bronzing your cufflinks. This night is our new stop. Now, where did I put my dinner parasol? As Tallulah busied herself with her womanly preparations, Malone peered out the window to see the smoke and steam of American progress, as well as the rails that stretched out to the eastern wilds beyond. Later that night, Malone and Tallulah's carriage pulled up to the imposing War Metal estate. As they stepped down onto the shit-covered avenue, they were greeted by a waiting servant. Good evening, folks. Morning's Poseidon. Well, we're sure all pleased to entertain such an upstanding pair of swells such as you this fine evening. May I de-shit your walking shoes? Well, that won't be necessary. We've brought extras. Tallulah, you know, I rather dislike when you do this. It seems a... Bit indulgent. Nonsense, husband. It's the new practice in France. All the society gals are doing it. Well, at least allow me to dispose of these tainted walking shoes, a pair of which you find yourself burdened by. My, how polite and cultured. Why, oh, Jesus wept. Let me show you inside, madam. These streets are no kind of place for a silly white woman such as yourself. What was that? I said right this way. The cavernous entryway of the War Metal Estate was lined with marble pillars, artwork, and gladiatorial statues. A grandfather clock sat on the main landing of an imposing staircase. Yeah, well, this is it, isn't it? Master will be down shortly. Don't touch anything. Stay out of the catacombs. And above all, have fun. Say, dear, do you know that man? Oh, heavens no. You know I haven't been allowed home since I went off to Academy. You were 13. Yes, and now I'm back for the Crucible. So you haven't seen your family in six years. Don't be silly. There's correspondence, holidays in Vancouver, and let us not forget graduation. Father stayed the weekend. Well, but that sounds terrible. I'm learning so much about your family these last few... Well, today, actually. 
Every morsel of truth is more ghastly than the last. It is merely the war metal way. The war metal way. Malone spun around to see Bryn, Grundle, and Socks, the three other war metal girls. Bryn is in a long black funeral gown and stands a foot in front of the others. Grundle is nearly seven feet tall and wears a gray dress carrying a mysterious sack. Socks wears a white dress and is inexplicably wet. What are you? Call me Tara's husband. These are my sisters. Brian. Charmed. Grundle. Mm. And Socks. Socks. Are they... are they dead? Death calls on us all. What? Husband, you're being downright silly. Oh no, what was that? What did she just say? Sisters! <laughs> We haven't seen each other in... Oh, has it really been since Socks' Crucible? Pity as though it may have been. How is Father? I must see Father. Consumed by the blasted railroad. Whom have you chosen, sister? I beg your forgiveness, sister. This is my dear husband, Roscoe Cavendish. Keep weeping, Jesus. Right, well, I guess I'd be Roscoe Cavendish. I'm sorry, your name was? Grin Warmetal, eldest, closest to the grave, as of this morning at least. And you were? Grundle will not speak. The crucible takes its toll on every Warmetal girl in whatever manner it finds most cruel. Don't scare him! It's really not so bad. I'm afraid it is, sister. You see, kind sir, Grundle was not always the beastly specter you see before you. She was once quite beautiful. The only thing that could match her beauty was her voice. Every morning when we were young, she would tiptoe upon the veranda and sing. Birds would silence their own calls. It was as if they knew no song could ever match that of my dear sister. That is, until the day of her crucible. She loved the man she had chosen, and he loved her. They married and even considered fleeing the crucible, and thus, father. Her husband decided that it was a coward's practice to run, and took his place at the war medal dinner table. What... what happened? Well, of course, the husband was rejected. Afterwards, he could be heard saying from the front drive that he would have no part in the affairs of a war medal girl, and rode off. Every day after that, Grundle sat for hours out on the veranda, in a melancholy trance. Never again would she allow a single sweet note to escape her lips. She simply sat and watched the birds, who, in mourning of the voice they too would be deprived of, never sang again. Something else happened the day Grundle forsake her beautiful voice. She began... to grow. What? Of course, no one noticed at first. She rarely lifted herself from that damp veranda chair until the day of young Sox's crucible. She rose from her solitary perch and towered over everyone, a disfigured monster that had consumed my sweet, sweet... Sister, I never cared for music. Atlantis Warmetal descended the stairs one at a time. He was old but clearly powerful, and business as well as physical ability. All the vibrato, the tremolo, the harmony. Trains like this clock have a cold simplicity. Their song is a song with one note. One melody, one time signature, and it never ends. Never you, never Father! There will be ample time for your affections after.
after the crucible. Yes. Yes, of course, Father. How about you, son? How do you tick? Uh, on time, sir? On time. We'll see. We'll see. Poseidon! Well, that's me, isn't it? Prepare the hall! We're testing a man's salt tonight. The walls of the dinner hall were covered with layers of overlapping antlers. There were antler sconces, antler candelabras, and an antler chandelier. The war metal girl sat on one side of a long mahogany table, while Malone sat across from Atlantis. I see you have a fondness for antlers. Yes, I also like antlers, clocks, trains, and antlers. So... Um, what beast of cloven hoof shall we be feasting upon tonight? I don't follow. Father is an excellent huntsman. Tallulah, are we a family of braggarts? Why, no, Father. I simply... Then why do you seek to misrepresent us in front of your husband? So, uh, this crucible, is it like a test or a contest or something? Because, uh, if that's the case, then I am confident I can best whatever challenge I'm presented with. Life is a test. Surely we can postpone the unpleasantness until we finish dinner. Dinner can also be a test in some ways. However, Poseidon, hear my words. I grow weak from malnourishment. Would it please your cold African heart to watch me wither and die at my own table? Answer if you will. Yeah, yeah. Poseidon enters with three servants pushing carts of food. No, no, over there, over there. Oh, my. Lovely. Ah, swordfish. The weapon of the sea. Yes, and it appears to be boiled to perfection, I see. Um, sir, I hope this doesn't spoil your, uh, exquisite feast. But I, I must ask, just what is this crucible? It is the only measure of your worthiness to have married my daughter. Now eat. Yes, sir, I'm afraid I'm rather hazy on the details. What must I do to prove my love for your daughter? Love is a hallucination, fit only for children's books and delirium. I want to know if you're worthy. Father, you need not worry about his worth. He is a good man. In fact, you could use a man like him in your company. If I were in the business of taking your word, there wouldn't even be a crucible. Would that be so bad? I'll just turn around. Cavendish, you want to be a railman, do you? More than anything. More than continuing your marriage to my daughter. Uh, beg your pardon? The life of a railman can be lucrative, indeed. But like most privileges in life, one must make sacrifices. An offering, if you will. I do not doubt you treasure the love of my... Oh, goddammit, Tallulah, would you sit still? Um... There. <laughs> I do not doubt you treasure the love of my daughter has bestowed upon you. But lovers are only fit for tea rooms and daydreams of young girls. So I ask, are you a lover, or are you a railman? I'm a... I'm a... I'm a railman. Come with me.
A lone chair sat on the veranda, its legs dug deep in patches of crushed tile. Warmetal opened an umbrella and handed it to Malone. They walked into the open space with Malone getting drenched. It took salt to disrespect my daughter, your wife, in a room full of her family. I almost took you for a cowardly Irishman. Well, I'm not. I know that. Cavendish is a strong, pure name. I meant it as a figure of speech. So, was this the crucible? Hell no! No one passes the crucible. But you do have salt. And I'm in the salt business. I, th- I thought you were in the rail business. I am. It's a, just another figure of speech. Like cowardly as an Irishman. Or Chinaman live forever. I can use you, Cavendish. What do you need me to do? War Metal removed a pocket watch from his smoking jacket. In time, my boy. In time. What, whatever you need, Mr. War Metal. Good. Poseidon will take you to the station. What, now? Well, I mean, may I speak with Tallulah? It's a matter of loyalty. What do you mean? I mean, do you have any, boy? Uh, yes, sir. Warmetal took the umbrella and headed inside, leaving Malone at the mercy of the elements. Malone looked down at the watch and closed his fist around the cold metal. Oh, damn. Well, thanks for listening. Tune in next week, or right now, I don't care, for the continuation of Full Tilt Malone. This episode is brought to you by Scolded Crow Whiskey. Scolded Crow because dark times call for cheap whiskey. And War Metal Rail Company, the trains that run on time. War Metal Rails, sit down and shut up. Yes, the stuff in the margins. I can take off my skin and like reverse it for your precious procedure, but I just can't, Jerry. Not now, not for never.